0: I'm Megan Bach, and you're listening to The Explainer, a podcast from First Capital, the podcast where we speak with experts at First Capital and across the real estate industry. Today, we're speaking with two of our VPs about the impacts of COVID-19 on the retail space. We've got JJ Shire, VP of Operations, as well as Terry Letterman, VP of Leasing Central, joining us for this discussion. Thank you both for being here. It's been about six months since the start of the COVID-19 pandemic here in Canada, JJ, can you take us back to March and walk us through how things were when the pandemic started?
1: Yeah, for sure. Uh, Thank you for having me. I did a lot of traveling at, in Q1 at the beginning of the year, and I uh, was on the road a lot. And as um, you know, the, this pandemic started to pick up steam and, and was in the news. You know, you started to see certain uh, cues—the uh, fact that the, the malls were were slowing down, our properties were slowing down. But where it really hit me was at the beginning of March. Um, I guess. Probably the first week of March, I was going between Montreal and Calgary. Um, and typically, the plane would have been full. And uh, got on, looked around, and there was 20 people on the plane. So, you know, that's when it started to hit me a little bit. <clears throat> I, I think the epicenter for me for the pandemic was probably uh, the week of uh, March 9th. Um, the NBA po- postponed their season on the Wednesday night. Um, I was in Vancouver, flew back to Toronto um, and knew there was a problem and on my way I was supposed to fly to Montreal on the Friday and uh, had to cancel my trip and sure enough when I landed in Toronto I got a call from Marianne, my boss and uh, said you're grounded, no more travel and that kind of um, catapulted us into the weekend when, when the panic really started. We started hearing from tenants. Um, you know, staff, uh, the enclosed shopping centers were really, really slow. um, And really, that's kind of the epicenter of the pandemic for me back in March.
0: And before we pass it over to Terry to hear about how things were for leasing at that point, would you mind explaining a bit about how processes were different for our open air properties and enclosed malls?
1: Um, Really, I guess in Late March, um, when we started to close down properties, the open air centers um, really kind of just ran themselves. Um, there weren't, there wasn't really a lot of uh, protocol that we had to put in place. It was more the enclosed shopping centers that we have, and we have around twenty of those. Um, that's uh, where. Uh, We had to shut down food courts um, and then we had to reduce hours in the mall. Uh, And then in late March, uh, I guess Quebec was the first one to actually shut down the enclosed shopping centers. So we had to uh, close them down and, uh, you know, uh, go from there.
0: Terry, can you take us back to March when the pandemic started and talk to us about how things were for
2: the leasing group? Sure. So, and thanks for having me as well. I was actually on vacation the week of March 9th, enjoying a beach vacation and uh, started getting texts that, you know, seasons like the NBA season are getting closed and uh, there was no toilet paper to be found on shelves. And, you know, I came back on March 14th um, to be immediately grounded and quarantined and uh, with no contact with my team. But the first reaction we had was really, let's, we need to reach out to all of our tenants and as many as we can and try and understand, you know, their feelings and what was going on. And there was a lot of panic uh, phone calls. We were really, none of them really understood how long they were going to be closed. And we needed to really look at, at our portfolio and understand, you know, how much of it was at risk with regards to non-essential services. So we spent that first few weeks calling all the tenants, just trying to, to get an understanding as to you know what they're, they were feeling and what was going to happen um, you know but I think the the one of the first things we realized out of all of that was we really had to support some of our independent retailers because they really just didn't have the resources to get themselves through and and again we also didn't know how long they would be closed for so that that started you know discussions on what can we do and it, to help and you know that's the beginning of of COVID-19 from a leasing perspective is just doing reconnaissance.
1: And I'm just going to jump in quickly. I I did look back uh, at my email uh, to see like the whole timeline. And it was that following week after March 13th that we started to get emails from tenants about rent relief and it started to flood in. And that's when uh, I guess operations and leasing kind, kind of came together and said, wow, okay, we have an issue here. And then to Terry's point, they all started reaching out. We were taking the inbound emails, letting them know, and it became a real coordinated effort between our two departments to triage these tenants and make sure that you know somebody was dealing with them, uh, whether it was our group or Terry's group. So um, it was uh, it was a very interesting time. Uh, every, like everyone, our our business and our world got turned upside down. Um, And the thing that I found interesting from the leasing perspective is that our leasing guys typically are on offense doing new deals. And all of a sudden, in that one week, their whole role transitioned to being on defense and, you know, trying to keep tenants in place and work with them on deals. And I think that um, our team did a fantastic job. So I give uh, Terry and his team a lot of credit.
0: Thanks, JJ. And Terry, when did you start to realize that this is possibly going to be an industry altering event?
2: Well, you know, we had to figure out the best way to touch as many tenants as we could to really understand how they were being impacted. So the leasing group really assigned uh, retailers across the country uh, to each person and had them reach out. And then we would sit uh, on what we call a deal command center, and have conversations daily about you know what we learned from from different types of retailers. Uh, some of them in the same category having different challenges. So we had all of that, and we tracked it every day, and tried to come up with solutions uh, to, to deal with them. And that's when it really became evident that uh, this this is a big um, big ordeal that we're dealing with, and it's difficult for us to react as quickly as we really wanted to. And, and we're learning on the fly um, what to do. So those, those daily calls turned into understanding trends between different retailers. So, you know, we would look at categories like entertainment, fitness, where they were, they were forced to close. And, you know, some of those have memberships, enclosed restaurants. How is, how is this going to affect them? But when you look into certain categories, not every retailer operates the same way. And, you know, we, we look at, I look at one category, which was, was pet food and they're an essential service. And we, you know, we started to learn that not all of them had the ability to provide a uh, curbside pickup because they may have not had uh, an internet platform. So once we identified what the trends were, we started to formulate ways that we could deal with them. And then in addition to talking to the retailers, we had an awful lot of collaboration with our peers in the industry as well to, to learn what they're learning. So it was a, it was a constant uh, conversation between peers and retailers and trying to learn as much information as you could to establish you know, a solution or a way to, to get through what we were dealing with.
0: What was the immediate reaction from tenants? What was top of mind for them during those early days?
2: Uh, for non-essential services, it was survival. Um, you know they there were immediate calls, barrages of calls, emails, any way that they could get a hold of us, talking about rent concessions, rent relief um they were really concerned that that this is going to close their businesses, we're dealing with people's lives as far as you know their you know, franchisees and this is their livelihood so it, it, was, it was a lot of panic phone calls and, and certainly the, the stories and the difficult conversations we had to have or are, are still having um, was sort of the issue. It was about financial survival and whether they were going to be able to operate going forward. Um, we still didn't know how long it was going to last uh, at that point, but um, we, we did come up with the very first small business support program, which supported our independent tenants, because as I mentioned earlier, that was something that we had identified right out of the gates so that just, this would be such a big impact uh, to them. And then after that, we kind of went through a systematic process of trying to, you know, talking to retailers that were chains, uh, you know, very large mid box retailers that had, you know, a lot of corporate uh, money behind them. and Try to figure out how best we could help each of those categories. Um, and, you know, from that, there, there have been discussions about rent deferrals and potential abatements. And those, those are still ongoing. That's, that's still happening today.
0: Yeah, definitely a busy few months for the team. So, Terry, can you tell us what happened with any leasing deals that were in progress in March and April? Did we have any tenants whose openings were postponed?
2: Yes, we did. Uh, tenants that were open or, or slated to open their businesses on March first only had, you know, a week to two weeks of of income and understand, you know, just opening the doors. And they didn't get, you know, the right launches that they would like to have. But then there were a lot of tenants that that were in our portfolio that were taking possession of their spaces, which means, you know, they're going through the process of of the construction of the space, but. Construction was a non-essential service. The cities were not issuing permits, so we had to deal with and, and are still dealing with tenants that you know, ha- were just unable to perform the construction that they needed. And and so in a lot of cases, we've had to push those fixturing periods out a little bit further, um, just to accommodate that time frame that they were unable to either do their construction or obtain their permits. It's you know. It's still it's still something that we deal with um, today because we're still not that far out. A lot of times, tenants take an awful long time to build out their spaces, and with with delays and even going back once the the essential services became, you know, the city's issuing permits, there was a backlog. So it, it's it's been uh, very impactful to to First Capital, but it's you know the right thing to do, and it's it's necessary. For us to deal with those, because we just, they were not in anyone's control.
0: I understand that there were some creative strategies that were used to backfill vacancies. Can you give us an example of what the team did to reposition a property with a vacancy?
2: Yeah, we had we had some some tenants that you know just were unable to foresee uh, a future after being closed, and you know the good news with with First Capital's portfolio is that we do have a large percentage of our portfolio of tenants that are essential services. But, you know, as we, we looked at, at certain situations, we had tenants that just, you know, kind of hand, want to hand back the keys. So we had a situation in Langley mall in BC with uh, with a certain tenant, a uh, large space, about 40,000 square feet, and they just could not make it through, uh, through this situation. So we were able to obtain, a short-term backfill uh, department store tenant. And that's opened the door for us to, to look at what we, want, what we need to do in our portfolio. And, and when we go through that process, we sat down and tried to understand who, who can get through a situation like this, which tenants, the essential services for one, but certainly other tenants uh, as well, are able to, to weather a storm such as this and we've identified a number of tenants that are actually calling us and saying, you know, if you get spaces, we'd be very interested in, in looking at expanding. And that, that comes from sometimes a lot of tenants that want, they, they have plans for expansion, but they look to certain markets or properties and they're simply restricted because they've got another use there. So that situation with uh, out in Langley Mall, we have a short term solution. Uh, but the long-term solution is we're looking at backfilling with tenants that have been able to 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 do in some cases quite well through COVID, and and we're looking at a pharmacy and a dollar store concept to backfill that space. So it's it's been a lot of creativity, but more really trying to understand which tenants are going to look toward. Um, I don't like to use the word benefit, but uh, you know that that look looking out of COVID as an opportunity, and that's what we have to do. We have to, we have to consider what will happen, and we don't know what's going to happen. You know, government programs are, are soon to be over with, and some tenants may just be surviving um, because of that. So we don't really know what the impact is going to be, but we have definitely gone on offense, as JJ put earlier, to really make sure we're prepared for the next step. Um, Should that happen?
1: So I'm just going to jump in quickly here and and add a little bit more color on this uh, Langley Mall deal. So it was a large space, um, about 60,000 square feet. So that's a big space. Um, It was a local regional retailer um, that closed and then announced that they were going to permanently close and then subsequently filed for bankruptcy. So here we are sitting in the middle of a pandemic with a 60,000 square foot um, basic Uh, department store, um, vacant. And I think it's a true testament to First Capital's real estate and to our leasing team. Um, Within a couple weeks, uh, we had somebody at the table. um, We were working with them and we got a deal done. And uh, to me, it was fantastic. And uh, it was was a huge deal. It helped uh, with the quarter. And uh, I think it was great.
0: Seems like it's been a good opportunity for the teams to work together.
1: (laughs) For sure. Oh,
2: yeah. I mean, a lot of collaboration between leasing and operations uh, has occurred uh, because of this. And I think, you know, it's a testament to both of our groups that uh, everybody has really stepped up and understands that this is not just, uh, you know, something unique to Ontario, to Canada. Uh, This is worldwide. And it's, it's something that makes you step back when you look at what you do for a living and we're fortunate enough uh, at, our, at First Capital that you know we, we haven't lost any staff and everybody really appreciates the value of what they, they are bringing to the table and nobody on either of our teams has really questioned anything they've been asked to do when, when all through this, everything that we've been asked to do is completely different to what we were doing prior to, to March 14th, say. So I, I think that it's been fantastic. I'm very proud of both of our groups and how they've reacted to it and they continue to work together. And I think it's actually brought those two groups, our two groups together in a, in a really special way going forward. <laughs>
1: Yeah, I agree. I just want to add to that um, as far as the collaboration piece. Um, you know, Typically, I wouldn't uh, deal with leasing a lot. I was off doing my own thing. They're off doing their own thing. And when this happened, we all came together. Um, going back to what Terry said earlier about these command center calls uh, at, at the beginning, they were two or three times a week. And I was on those calls. So I was embedded with leasing, understanding what they're doing so that we could you know operate the properties and deal with the tenants and know what they're doing so the collaboration and the sharing of information uh, was great Um, and I think we should carry this forward because if there is a silver lining in this whole uh, pandemic it's that the team has come a lot closer together and that we're working as a true team one team.
0: Um, JJ can you now talk to us a bit about the reopening process?
1: Um, the reopening process, so uh, over the last, let's call it six months, there has been a lot of industry collaboration um, and I've sat uh, on calls, uh, operational calls with industry peers like Oxford, Cadillac, Ivanhoe, Morgard. Uh, Rio can and we've really been uh, spending a lot of time talking about the reopening process because um, it's we're really all in this together so customers and consumers need to feel comfortable going to any shopping center whether it's ours or Oxford's so um, Cadillac and Oxford being the you know the top players in the business, um, they were very forthcoming with their reopening plans. They shared them with us. We uh, in turn went and put our own opening plan together. Um, so it's actually um, very interesting how we all came together um, during the pandemic uh, so that we were all in a better position um, to open up.
0: What do things look like for visitors to our properties? What changes can they expect to see?
1: So um, I guess as you, uh, I'm going to talk more about the enclosed shopping centers um, because the open air centers are are basically, they are what they are. They were open air. We haven't really made many changes there. Uh, the non-essential tenants were allowed to reopen and it was back to business as usual quick. Most of the uh, the differences are in our enclosed shopping centers. Um, like the Yorkville villages, Parkway malls, Cedar Bray. Um, So what you see um, as you come into the the property and you come into the entrance, you're gonna see signage on the the front door. We now have uh, mask bylaws in most municipalities. So there is signage um, requiring you to wear a mask. welcoming you back, Uh, asking you um, to, you know, be a good community citizen and physically distance. Um, And it also tells you what we're doing. Um, There's obviously more cleaning protocols. Um, there is hand sanitizer at every entrance so that the t- the the customers can can use that um, we 're regularly uh, disinfecting all the common areas washrooms and high touch surfaces uh, we 've obviously ramped up our cleaning and our security um, and ultimately, our goal is to make the customers feel um, comfortable while they're in the mall. So, when you're in the mall, you'll see stickers on the floor and in certain areas uh, encouraging physical distancing and, you know, washing your hands in the washroom um, and all that kind of stuff. So, ultimately, we want the customers to feel comfortable to come to the mall and support our uh, tenants and retailers.
0: And are the customers adapting?
1: Absolutely. Um, I'm seeing a real aura out there of self-governance, you know, customers are wearing their masks Um, they are physically distancing we've had absolutely no issues uh, with this so um, yeah I mean I think uh, a testament to the communities that we have properties in that everybody's cooperating and and doing what they can to uh, make the the shopping center a safer place.
0: That's great news and to wrap up can each of you give us your views on the long-term impacts of COVID-19 on the real estate industry? Terry, we'll start with you.
2: Things have changed quite a bit, honestly. Um, I think a lot of us have uh, adapted to online shopping. I think a lot of us might be enjoying curbside pickup more than, than we did before. And I, I feel like it may become a bit more of a new norm. And, you know, that, that changes how, how retailers deal with their shoppers. So, you know, masks and physical distancing, that can be a difficult thing with regards to certain store layouts, you know, whether it's an open concept or, you know, it's, it's a numerous amounts of aisles with crisscrosses and, you know, simply having arrows there may or may not work. So, you know, my thoughts are that there could be changes to store formats for certain retailers, um, maybe adapting more to web-based platforms and online channels and dealing with, which is something that that's always been discussed but being forced to do it is, you know, maybe people are a little bit more comfortable. So, you know, I feel that that that's what's going to happen. I'm concerned about certain categories. I, you know, I feel that restaurants sit down restaurants, for example, you know, they, they simply can't have as many people in, in seats. So for example, if you have if you had 80 seats, maybe now you're only going to have 40. Well, that, that could cause changes to things like cost to go out for, for dinner um, that could put pressure on rental rates with regards to, you know, what landlords can actually do. So, you know, we're, we're, we're really trying to understand what's coming out of this, but I just don't feel that even with a vaccine that people will go back to immediately the way that, that they were shopping and dealing with people. I think that it will take a lot of time for certain people to gain the confidence to do what they did before. And if that's the case, retailers may have smaller footprints or larger footprints. And you know, all of those things have a major impact to you know, our leasing efforts in our shopping centers. So uh, you know, I just feel that even with the vaccine um, one day that it's, it's going to, it's impacted us long-term and some of the things may never go back to the way they were. And we're going to have to adapt and, uh, you know, deal with those situations as time goes on.
0: Thanks, Terry. And JJ, your final thoughts?
1: Yeah, I, I agree with everything that Terry said uh, from a macro perspective. So maybe I'll approach it a little bit more from a micro perspective when it comes to the company. Um, listen, there was some uh, real dark days in March and uh, there was some panic. And um, I think that uh, you know, Our world was turned upside down. Our tenants' worlds were turned upside down. And through all this, there were a lot of lessons learned. Uh, for example, from our first capital perspective, we found you know, certain vulnerabilities in our internal systems. So I think that we'll be able to look at all that once the COVID cloud clears and we'll be able to post-mortem it and improve the organization um from the the bottom up um the you know as i said earlier the silver lining of all this is the team collaboration like everybody has come together every department Um, You know, leasing, operations, legal, you know, development, construction, you know, development, construction. They all asked uh, right out of the gate, what can we do to help? So, uh, you know, it really makes me feel proud to work for a company where everybody came together and we had some uh, great collaboration. And, you know, with these lessons learned and and this uh, collaboration, I think that, you know, long term, it will be a positive for us and uh, we'll be a better company uh, for it.
2: Yeah, I just want to jump in. I, you know, this is definitely obviously a life altering event for everyone that's in this industry. Well, for everyone in general, but as we relate it to to our industry, everyone will remember uh, where they were and and what we dealt with because it really impacted all of us. So, you know, we've learned a lot um, as we've gone through this uh, with all the groups and how to adapt and and certainly, you know, the, the collaboration, as JJ talked about, has been fantastic. But I think the good news, the silver lining of it all is should this type of thing be extended for a, a longer length of time, we're getting better at learning how to deal with it. If something like this happens again in the future, First Capital has learned an awful lot about how to react and, and what the impact is. So I, I'm, I'm very proud to work here. I I feel that You know, everybody in our organization has stepped up and done everything they can to get us through. And I I hope this never, ever happens again.
1: Yes, I want to second that. With all that being said, I never want to go through this in my career ever again.
0: It's definitely been a trying few months, but also a lot of positive that's come from it, as you guys have mentioned. So thank you both for joining us to discuss the impacts of COVID-19 on the retail space. And thanks as well to the listeners for tuning in. Tune in next month for another episode of The Explainer. If you have any suggestions or questions, please reach out to communications at fcr.ca. If you're interested in subscribing to our newsletter, you can do so at signup.fcr.ca slash email. Thank you and goodbye.